I guess we didn't quite get it set. And it's got a mind of its own, and occasionally it will just go, I'm not going to do that today, and it'll go back. So we can set it, and that's that's what it does. If you want to open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 39. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 39. We're going to continue our study there of the resurrection. We uh, <clears throat> are... Uh, looking at, at what happens in the resurrection, the arguments Paul gives for it. He basically says if there is no resurrection, we just better give up. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What difference does it, does it matter? And so he goes through different arguments about why the resurrection is important, why it's central to our theology, why we need to be able to defend it. And we're in a <clears throat> generation now who thinks... Um, like atheists do, and thinks when you hit the grave, that's pretty well it. Well, I don't think so. That's not what I read in the Bible. Now, before we begin, let's just take a moment for prayer, because this is God's Word. We need to study it, see its value, study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that do not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of Truth. That's what we're called to do. So we'll take that approach. We're going to spend some time studying and pray that the Holy Spirit will make it uh, understandable to us, make it real to us, help us remember it, and then let us live this uh, resurrected life because we are just waiting on it now. It's not if it's going to happen, it's just when. And that's such a good comfort in this day and time. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful and blessed and privileged and honored. We're just uh, indeed to be in your family, to be called your kids. Father, knowing that our our future is guaranteed not by what we did, but by what, what our brother and your son did in our place. Father, what a blessing that is. I pray that we would walk in this newness of life and that we indeed would not be afraid of anything. That, Father, we would not fear the world at all, but we would have utmost respect for you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Got to get the throat working again. (coughs) My voice doesn't sing those notes frequently enough to be in practice, so... working yet okay reading from verse 36 what paul is telling people is about the importance of the resurrection and he says in verse 36 you fool that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies he's telling us there that even nature talks about a resurrection even nature displays a resurrection because seeds they die they go into the earth and then they produce produce fruit that's what that's what they do and some of them, once they get in there, you can't get rid of them. Okay, I've got some ivy vines that absolutely will engulf and encapsulate everything in my backyard. And uh, they fight. They're as bad as the holly bush. But what happens is they'll totally disappear for the winter because we cut them all down. And then they come back. Well, that's a picture of the fact that some things look dead, but when the Lord puts the spark into it, They're really not. Verse 37. And that which you saw, you do not sow the body which is going to be, come into existence, gen oh my, but a bare grain, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives it a body, just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Now verse 39, where we left, or we've been through the summary. I'm going to run through this. Sorry to put that there again. Okay, escape. There it is. All flesh is not the same flesh. Kelvin, you can't leave anymore. Gotcha. 
we, we are creatures of sequence, are we not? Creatures of habit. You mess up the habit and the sequence, and sometimes things go awry. All right, now we can see it. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men. This is the word Allah. We get the word alos, one another of the same kind. And another Allah, flesh of birds. They have a different flesh. And another Allah, um, uh, the flesh of beasts, the flesh of birds, and another of fish. So it's saying that there are different kinds of flesh. And God basically has designed them all. Now verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies. Soma. Interesting. A heavenly body. Soma is the word used for our human body. The house in which our soul resides and our human spirit resides. And here we are. We are this human body. He says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one. Doxa is the word for glory. It means that which is the result of an opinion, interestingly enough. And here it's looking at the creation of God being good in his eyes and the bestowal of various degrees of brilliance. Now, he says the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthy is another. And this another is heteros, of a different kind. So the heavenly is one, the earthy is another. So he sets up a contrast for us that he is going to explore and take us through in the next next few verses. For example, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the star. For stars differ from star in glory. And we can look, look in the heavens as we go out at night and take a look and I have uh, uh, Venus is so bright where I'm located and where I get to see and right now this time of the year and it's so low on the horizon I wonder I'm looking for the red flashing lights because we have planes come right over our house that are coming in from Denver and Amarillo and so I see this real bright light and bright star out there and I'm going okay just wait a minute is it moving and does it have red lights on it? <laughs> and then sometimes that's what it is. It's, you know, a plane coming in. But when we start looking at the stars, we look, see all the different uh, types and, and brilliances. And now we've got this, this Hubble telescope. And it's so fascinating to look out into deep space and see the, uh, the organization that God has put on it. To me, it's just fascinating to be able to look out there and see galaxies and clusters and all this other this other stuff that he did. It is the the work of his hands, and that's what it says. The heavens were his finger work. I mean, it was kind of like finger painting. No big deal. Can we imagine a power like that? No, we can't imagine a parallel. We can hit our thumb with a hammer and we can imagine one kind of power. But the power of that nature to, to create with design is something we really have to stop and think about to remotely grasp. That's hard, that's hard for me to do. It's hard for everybody to do. And why, why shouldn't we try to do that? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. I read that in Romans 1. They do. And you look up and you see his glory. You see an order to it. You see it making cycles and coming back in the same place. Can you imagine being Adam and you got 950 years to lay out under the stars? And you're laying out under the stars and going, hey, this looks familiar. Hey, this is moving. Hey, there's one star that doesn't seem to move, the polar star. And you watch it come back to the same places year after year after year. Wouldn't that have been fascinating? He would have learned. See, the Lord said he put the stars in the sky for signs and for seasons. They want to know when to plant, when to harvest. He put them in there for signs, too. In another way, I believe that he was giving a, a gospel through the stars early on in human history. Now, God's creation... <clears throat> displays the fact that he made different kinds of flesh that are similar to each other, but different. 
They're similar to each other but different. They're an outer covering. We have living creatures have a skin and then they have organs on the inside. And the skin serves to hold the organs on the inside so that the, the creature can become alive. He also made heavenly forms with varying degrees of brilliance. And we see that in the different stars. We've been studying the stars for a long time and every time that we think we they've got a map, they that space thing goes a little bit deeper and they get a whole new group to look at. And it just keeps getting more and more and more. Creation itself is a picture of God's omniscience. When you look at it, did, didn't he know how to do all this already? Because it is his handiwork and it's his finger work. Being able to make so many things that are similar and yet different and also totally different from one another. So he gets things that are kind of alike. All of us, as we know, we've got different fingerprints. How many billions of people have walked this planet there are different fingerprints? Now we know that our eye prints are different. You can use them to open up your phone. You know, you can do the, the old eye thing there with your phone. And I guess that's what an iPhone is, isn't it? You open it with your eye. But they're all different. Isn't that fascinating? How he, in his omniscience, I think when you look at that, he's just saying, you guys think you're smart? He gives us a taste just the taste of his omniscience through what he has made. And one day, he's going to change all things. One day, he's going to change all of these things. Now, this is that's coming up in 2 Peter. We're going to see that because he's going to wipe it all out. Revelation 21, 22 is about a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to take this present heavens and earth and he's going to burn it all up. We're going to see in 2 Peter 3 that even the elements will mount. It's a word that's used for the very basic building blocks of everything like carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. It's all going to be built, burnt up. Now that can only happen in a thermonuclear explosion. So he's going to take it all out. So how much stock should we put in all these things that we value so highly? We're supposed to protect them. We're supposed to guard them. We're supposed to be good stewards of them. But worship them? Uh-uh. No need for it. One day, this new heavens and new earth, uh, it's going to be indestructible, as is this new body. I think that might be the biggest test because we get this new body that's said to be indestructible. We get this new body before... He makes a new heavens and new earth. Now wouldn't that be handy to have? Because this body's not indestructible. And a nuke goes off close to us, this body will suffer the consequences. But what if it couldn't be destroyed? Does that meet any of the laws of physics? Can't even think about it meeting any of the laws of physics. But what you can think about is what did God say? Because he is not subject to the laws of physics. He is the author of the laws of physics. And we must never ever forget that. God's creative ability is infinite. His creative ability is infinite. He can do what he chooses to do. And he has chosen to do that through the universe. He's chose that to, chosen to do that through you and I. Because all of us are similar, and yet we are different. Now, <clears throat> verse 42 says, So also, now from the various proofs Paul has made in this, this chapter, he's drawing a conclusion. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown, spiro, present passive indicative, this is how it happened. It means to spread seed. It's interesting. It's used in Mark 4.1 in the parable of the sower. The sower sows the seeds. And here is the word. He said, It is sown a perishable body. In pathora is the Greek words that are used there. And pathora is a word that means corruption. 
So it's sown in, preposition in means in, uh, <clears throat> in corruption. It means to be in an inferior or worse position. So the word by its very nature is comparative. Okay, It's sown a perishable or in sown in corruption. It is raised in apharthasia. Used seven times, which is not corruptible. In incorruption. It is sown in incorruption. Hence we get immortal, often seen when it translated as this word. Imperishable, not subject to change. Hmm. Because corruptible means it's all subject to change. When we get this new body, it's not subject to change. Now that's nice, really nice to know. I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> Having demonstrated God's ability to create and make a multitude of people and things, Paul applies it to the future. So he's looking at the past, seeing what God has revealed, and now he's applying it to the future. He begins to answer the question, what kind of body that was asked in verse 35? What kind of body are we going to have? So the eternal life that God offers, the eternal life that God offers is not simply eternal existence, but rather eternal incorruptibility. That opens up a whole new range of thinking. To be in heaven in a new body with God and totally incorruptible. Now if you study the angelic conflict, you're going to ask, what are the ramifications of that? Because we certainly got corrupted in this stage of the angelic conflict, didn't we? In Adam, we all got corrupted. And without Adam's help, we'd have corrupted ourselves. I mean, we just, we needed one that didn't get corrupted in order to redeem us from the corruption that we already have. So he's going to say, what kind of body? When we get into uh, verses 50 to 58, which is some of my favorite verses to read at a funeral service for a believer, it's going to describe our body, give us nine different pictures of resurrection and what all that means. The eternal life that God offers is not simply existence, but eternal incorruptibility. This is crucial to the gospel. From 2 Timothy 1.10, By now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. See, you're going to live even if you die. And brought life and immortality, incorruptibility, to light through the gospel. So guess what? What's the gospel about? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall possess. Present tense, not in the future. Present shall possess eternal life. And it's a simple question. When does eternal end? It doesn't. So we're going to have that. And that also means in the realm of the angelic conflict, <clears throat> we can't fall like the angels and like Adam again. Now think about that one. And then put in there, well, won't I be able to choose? Yes. Now figure that one out. How we'll be able to have perfect volition and never choose again for sin. Yeah, put your thinking caps on for sure. But it's really not that hard. When you take the basic things that you've been taught already, that the moment you believe in Christ, you have been imputed with his righteousness. That's what gets you into heaven to begin with. Now, we've got it on the inside as believers. We've been justified. That's what the word means. We've been declared righteous. So we've got it on the inside. But we're still tied to this corruptible body. We're still tied to this sin nature. We still make bad mistakes. But this new body has no sin nature. But it has the righteousness of God. Is God righteous? Absolutely. Does God sin? No. Does he have volition? He displayed it in his creation. We will be like that.
Now that's hard to grab hold of. But the fact that we will never sin again. Isn't that amazing? To remotely think about. And how can that be? Because he gave us his righteousness in order to do that. But we can't do it fully in this body. We need a new one that can handle it. It's crucial to the gospel. Our response should be an incorruptible love. From Ephesians 6.24, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Incorruptible, immortal, indestructible. He's saying, you want grace? You want to really feel the grace of God? You want it, want it to be your life? How do you get it? you got to love him with every part of your being. That's what the greatest commandment's all about. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, it is sown in dishonor. Atamia. Atamia means without any weight. Tamia and its words mean to have weight. A on the front means no weight. It has no honor. It is separated from God. This scene, this seed that we have, that brings us into this life, it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. Look what he's telling us about the resurrection now. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, which as the word means without strength. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, a sukikos. When you see it, ikos on the end of a Greek word, it means of or pertaining to, and suke means soul. Okay? So it is sown a natural or soulish body. The word's only used six times. Used in James 3.15 and Jude 19 to indicate that it is a status devoid of the Holy Spirit. Natural body. That's how it's sown. We don't have the Holy Spirit in us whenever we are born. He says it is raised a spiritual body, pneumaticos, of or pertaining to the Spirit. So if there's a natural body, and there is, there's also a spiritual body. So here's the contrast he's giving us. Our old bodies are corrupted from our beginning. It's natural. That's who we are. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead. It's corrupted from the beginning. Our old bodies are separated from God. That's who we are. Our old bodies lack strength. Now babies, we're so excited when they start getting some strength. And we start seeing that when we, we, you know, grab daddy's finger here. Okay? Don't pull daddy's finger. That's <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> but we're so excited when they can grab hold of both of them and we can help them stand up. Right? And they're gaining strength. They're born without strength. They don't have that automatically. Sometimes they're pretty strong, but it takes a while for them to develop that strength and then develop the strength to be able to stand on their own. And then to get the the hand, the, the, the brain uh, motor skills working right, where they can eventually walk, but it takes strength. We're not born with any strength whatsoever. So we're born lacking strength, and we're born lacking the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling us. Now, our new bodies, (coughs) incorruptible. Our new body is going to be incorruptible. You know, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be anybody tempting us to do evil not going to be anybody there some have said that one of the things that's so great about heaven is that there won't be any temptations to deal with and that's why we'll never fall again Uh, how did Adam work how'd that work with Adam the Adam in the garden and still he fell so there's there's a problem with that thinking how are we going to be able To not sin again. It's the imputation of righteousness at the moment of faith. It's God giving us what we need to live forever. Incorruptible. We're glorified. When we get that new body, it'll be glorified. But it says star differs from star in glory. So there's going to be different people with different 
glories, I guess, that are resurrected uh, for uh, the kingdom and for eternity. Now, does that mean we'll be strutting our stuff? See, self-glory is a sin. <laughs> so it doesn't mean. If we see somebody and they go, oh boy, that's a bright shining star over there. We are, we are thankful that that was the kind of life that they lived. Whenever we see somebody that's a lot brighter than we are in eternity, it's going to be a joy to see that they were ones like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, ones who overcame. Okay? And then, if what if we're one of those? Because, as you notice, there seems to always be a brighter star <laughs> and a lesser star. Right? What if we're one of those? We're going to be brighter than other people. Somewhere along the line, I'm sure, are we going to lord it over them? No. No. It's going to be what, what everybody's desired is a perfect harmony. We can't imagine that, this side of heaven. And yet that's what's laid out in the scriptures for us. All those relatives that gave you fits on the holidays, you're going to be just fine. You'll be able to celebrate. I don't know if we'll do celebrations. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Somebody will say, well, Drew's teaching Christmas and eternity. I'll tell you, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we'll know exactly what day it was <laughs> when we get there. Our new bodies are going to be powerful. It says we'll be like angels. Now, we're not going to be angels. We're humans. We were made lower than the angels, Hebrews 1 and 2. We will be higher than the angels. So when we die, we're not going to be angels. When we die, we're, we're going to be, when resurrected, we're going to be a different creation that will be higher than the angels. And we know we'll be like angels. Now, one thing you find out about them is they're a lot more powerful than we are. They're smarter than we are. There's some things about angels you find out by studying the scripture. Some of them have power to control the weather. Called weather angels in the book of Revelation. Wow, that's something, isn't it? One of them puts his right foot in the Mediterranean and his left foot on the land, and he holds back the armies that are trying to invade. That's a bad dude. <laughs> that's a guy that has full power. That's what angels are capable of doing. And our new bodies are going to be spiritual, fully engulfed by the Holy Spirit. Fully engulfed by the Holy Spirit. Fully realizing the position we have in Christ. It's called being occupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. The principle, having to die in order to be raised, means we cannot do these things apart from outside help. Okay? Can't do them apart from outside help. Because death is a separation. So in order to be raised up, there's got to be help from the outside. And the Lord is the one that does that. As we're going to see, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all play the role in resurrection. In verse 5, so also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. It's in all caps because it's quoting Genesis 2-7. The word became is genomai. G-I-N-O-M-A-I. It means to become something he was not. He was not a living soul, but he became a living soul. Genomai is very much similar to Hayah, which is the word used in Genesis chapter 1. And the word Hayah used in Genesis 1 says it wasn't and then it was. Oh, light come into existence. Why? Because there wasn't any light. And it says, and light was, hayah. It became. It's used that way all the way through the first chapter of Genesis. It doesn't mean it existed like that in the past. It means it came into existence whenever the Lord spoke. And he said, <clears throat> separate the light from the... And it was, i.e., it became. It came into existence. 
So <clears throat> he became uh, interesting, uh, became a living soul, literally became into as a preposition ice, which is a word that preposition means into. And it's another way to indicate a creative transition when he went from being just a lump of dirt. Okay. And the Lord breathed into his nostrils. What? The Nashamakayim, the breath of lives, and man became a living soul at that point. Now you'll notice that's a unique situation. Never again repeated. He says, the last Adam, the eschatos Adam. We get eschatology, the study of last things from that word, and it's used with Adam became into <coughs> a life-giving <clears throat> spirit. The word is zoopoieo, which means, uh, poieo means to make, and zoo means alive. So it's just a compound word, means to make alive. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. And so the first purely human body was made from dust that God had created. Okay? Genesis 2-7. He went and gathered all the dust. God created the dust, remember? <laughs> In the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the dust. He went out there and he just started mashing all this stuff together. And we kind of get a little picture later on about the potter and the clay. Okay, so that is that is God's first piece of pottery, a guy named Adam. Okay, that's what he did. Mashed it all together just right. You're gonna, <clears throat> Lord, are you going to show us what you did? And he'll probably say no. But anyway... You take it and you just have this clump and go, let's see, I need two arms. <laughs> two, what was this thinking? Well, he's omniscient, so I always know what he's going to do. So it didn't take long at all. Now, God breathed into his nostrils <clears throat> the breath of lives, and the man, man became a living being, now having a soul. Okay? Neshama is the word for breath. And kayim is the plural for kai, which is a word for lives. He breathed into his being, in his nostrils, the breath of lives. He became a living soul. Now, <clears throat> from the curse later placed on and in Adam for his fall, humanity receives Adam's original sin, which brings with it corruption and separation from God and physical weakness. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We're all born with the sin nature is what we've got. And it was given through Adam's called Adam's original sin, the imputation of Adam's original sin. When you study it in theology, that, that's what you find out. Now, this last Adam, Jesus Christ, was uniquely born. See, Adam was formed. He was, the dust was created. He was formed. Breath was breathed into him. Jesus is, is unique, uniquely born, born of a virgin. And based on his life and acts, received the authority in now glorified hypostatic union to give life. So Jesus has this power. He has this authority. I like this uh, Matthew 28:18. All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. So the Lord received all this authority. Now who, on who does he confer eternal life? Eternal life with God is to those who believe in him. He gives life to whom he wills. Who does he will to give it to? Those who believe in him. Now, the last Adam was uniquely born. This is something that the law could never do. Impart life. Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which could, <coughs> was able to impart life, make alive, so opoyo, <coughs> then righteousness would have indeed been based on the law. You see, Paul in Galatians 3 has been a similar chapter to Romans 3. We are giving right, given righteousness 
by grace through faith. Justified is a word declared righteous. So we have been declared righteous or justified in, justified by grace through faith. <clears throat> now the Father is involved in raising the dead, giving them life. So the question would be, well, was it the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit that was involved in the resurrection of Christ? You can leave it to theologians to argue over things that don't need to argue over. <clears throat> because what you do is you start looking, because the Scripture will answer it. That's why you let Scripture interpret Scripture. John 5, 21 to 24, uh, or 26. If you want to go ahead and open there, and I'll get another drink of coffee. Maybe I can finish the class. <clears throat> John 5, 21 says, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life. You want a proof text? The Father's involved? Okay. Even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone. But he's given all judgment to the Son in order that he might honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Notice this is John 5. Fairly early in Christ's ministries, the Pharisees are getting all after him about different things. And they're going to really get mad in John 8 when he said, Before Abraham came into existence, I am. Oh, that got him really good. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes, he who hears my word, and believes him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life. And doesn't come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So did Jesus preach faith? Certainly looks like it, didn't he? Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. An hour is coming, and now is. He is the hour. You know, he's one of the things he's going to do, he's getting close to the crucifixion. He goes and makes a victorious proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Colossians 2, people go... What is he talking about there? Well, it looks like that whenever he uh, died, he went down into Sheol Hades and said, Guess what? <laughs> Here I am. I'm the one that you rejected. I'm the stone the builders rejected. I don't know what he said to them. But what I do know is that sh it shows that he made an appearance. He made an appearance. And then he emptied paradise and took it with him. But torments and tartars he left there. Uh huh. I think a big part of, of eternity might be wondering, what if I'd have just believed for some people? How easy it would have been not be there. Romans 4.17 As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So if you miss Genesis, here it is again in the New Testament. It's the same God. See how the dots connect on this thing? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's the same God. The Son is the determiner of who is made alive based on righteous judgment, namely obedience to the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. As in Adam all die, <coughs> so also in Christ all shall be made alive. He is the one who determines it. He is the king of kings. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is the actual agent of resurrection. Father plans it, Son executes it, the Holy Spirit reveals it, and in this case he carries it out. 
John 6.63, it's the Spirit who gives life. Flesh profits nothing. Words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Romans 8.11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. That's a powerful statement. Because for a believer, the Holy Spirit moves inside. He seals us forevermore. And at the right time, he's going to raise us from the dead. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but zoopoieo, made alive in the spirit. So notice the Trinity works together to resurrect. They're all a part of our resurrection. Praise the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, we're supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because baptism is about identifying with his death and his resurrection. So it just makes sense. The consistency of the word put together by over 40 authors over 1,500 years on five continents, it's it's consistent. That is not humanly possible for men to do by themselves. Now, he says, however, the spiritual is not first. But the natural, the sukakos, the soulish, then the pneumatikos, then the spirit. <clears throat> well, where'd you go? Verse 47. You didn't run out of handout, did you? No. No. Got some funny looks, and I'm going, oops. <laughs> Everything else has been well this morning. Okay. <clears throat> I did get out of bed, and that sequence went fairly well. Anyway, <clears throat> verse 47 the first man is from the earth. The first man is from the earth, and it really there's no definite article here. Not the earth. The first man is from earth indicating the dust portion of it. The second man is from heaven. So Adam was made from elements from the earth. Genesis 2, 7. And Jesus Christ came from heaven. John 6, 51. He is the bread that came down out of heaven. In verse 48. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. So he's saying that we start off as earthy until we become spiritual. And when we become spiritual, then we become heavenly because our heavenly father is who we are connected to. So it says those born in Adam basically are of the earth. And those those born into Christ are now heavenly. So see the contrast Paul's bringing through this whole thing. In verse 49 he says... Just as we have borne the image of the earthy. Born as phoreo means to wear something like clothing. uh, Or to wear a crown. Or an earthly tent. That's how it is used. The image, which is icon. We get icon from it. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, which is Adam. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Which is the Lord. We. who's he, He's talking to believers. The saints who are at Corinth. Chapter 1 verse 2. So with our new. <coughs> physical birth. We wear the image of. With our physical birth. We wear the image of Adam. Okay. We're all in Adam. With our new birth. We begin the transformation. Into the image of Jesus. Messiah. Okay. It's a transformation. 
It's going to take a while. But with that new birth, that's what we begin. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So believers, we are born again, but after we're born again is the transformation. Just like when new babies are born, they start a transformation into an adult. But now we've got a new creation on the inside of us that can never die, the new man. And this is starting a transition. Now sometimes we fight it. Sometimes we fight on the wrong side because it is a fight. But it is still, uh, it's still a battle we can win. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices. Okay? Sometimes believers haven't laid aside the old self. He is writing to a church at Colossae that basically got the stamp of approval of faith, hope, and love. Like Thessalonica did, but just one of a couple churches that ever got that faith, hope, and love that they were doing, doing it right. And he says, you have laid it aside with its evil practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we are being changed imperceptibly, if you will. But we are being changed. And then it's kind of like, well, okay, we're doing this. Sometimes we're struggling to get it done. Sometimes we're not struggling to get it done. When the rapture happens, will it'll be done. Who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. When's it going to be completed? At the rapture. Why? So we can stand in front of the Lord. It will reach its full potential at the resurrection. Philippians 1.6 I just quoted, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 3.20, I love this part. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Now, I just put the Hebrew Selah in there. It means pause. What? The body of his glory. See, this is the same body that can walk through walls. Go back and forth to the third heaven. This is the same body that can catch fish, prepare them, and eat them. Because he did in John 21. This is the kind of body we're talking about here. He says, how does he do it? By the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, you'll also be revealed with him in glory. There are verses and verses scattered throughout the New Testament that, that tell us that this new body is going to be perfect, incorruptible, never to be changed again. This new body is going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. From 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Wow. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. This is John who saw the resurrected Christ. But he knew the resurrected Christ. But he said, what we're going to look like exactly, we don't know yet with definitive description here he says we do know that when he appears we shall be like him the reason because we shall see him just as he is he saw the resurrected Christ but not in full glorified hypostatic union the God man seated on the throne we need a new body to see that one day we're going to stand in front of him. We're going to stand in front of him to be recompensed for the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm thinking, it's a good good day to be there 
whether our deeds good and bad or worthless because if you're standing there <laughs> you're a believer when you're standing in front of the judgment seat yeah you're one of the kids principle resurrection demands changes for the Christians a new body that will be able to have a complete relationship with God all we've got now is partial all we've got now is a partial relationship. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know in full, as we have been fully known. That's what we've got to look forward to. So no matter how great a relationship we have now, it's nothing like heaven. It's going to be. <clears throat> and a promise, we're going to bear the image of the Lord at the resurrection. That's the promise. We just saw laid out here. We're going to bear the image of the Lord at the resurrection. The next verses 50 to 58 are going to give us nine facts about the resurrection. Nine things we can go through, hang our hat on and say this is, this is what the resurrection is going to be like. And so uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Again, this is one of the most coming up some of the most comforting verses for people that have lost loved ones. It's what it is. I mean, we shall be with them. You put these verses with 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 about the rapture that are designed to comfort one another by scriptural revelation. And you put them together with this and you go, oh, this is really cool. Oh, death... Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your love and mercy and grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the comfort of knowing that we are in your hand and there is no power on earth, anywhere, under the earth, over the, that can take us out of your hand. Father, what a blessing that is. I pray that indeed we will live this resurrected life unafraid, but Father, serving you in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.